I carefully pick my way down a rocky descent, slippery from a week's worth of rain. This is no ordinary descent. Rather, the trail seems to crest at a drop-off, the route hidden from view, like the terrifying seconds as a roller coaster eases off before plunging straight down, leaving your fluttering heart above. The rock is at all angles, covered in a tangled nest of roots. Granite boulders with a white rectangular paint blaze indicating this is indeed the way, if there was any doubt. I pause to regain balance before another joint-jerking step, my knees fighting back. Can I instead simply plunge into the forest and slide down? Impossible. Either I'm in a rock chute or it's dense trees also clinging to this vertical nightmare, black and forbidding. Though not so much that I can't use some of them as an aid to my descent. Still, every step is calculated and careful. No wonder people who've walked the Appalachian Trail laugh at the description, footpath. It's more an accident waiting to happen. Welcome to Blissful Hiker Podcast. I'm Allison Young, the solo, female, middle-aged, titanium-reinforced, long-distance backpacker, Blissful Hiker. This is season five of the series of personal essays. I call them audio narratives that couple found sound and my own flute playing to explore a journey of self-discovery, where I share the sometimes unglamorous but vital truth about empowerment as badass people— who don't need permission to blaze our own trails in this journey we call life. If you enjoy these podcasts, you can support them through Patreon. There's a link in the show notes or at blissfulhiker.com. I'm not exactly sure when the thought gripped me to give a Sobo hike of the AT a try. Sobo meaning southbound, AT, the Appalachian Trail. I've always been a bit put off by the numbers of hikers on the major footpaths. And without a permit requirement to control numbers, it's gotten a reputation for big, messy tramilies or trail families partying all the way from Georgia to Maine. Last summer, some friends suggested I could miss some of the crowds by going south. And there's also some family lore. The Appalachian Trail in Maine starts on Mount Katahdin, the highest mountain in Maine. And my parents, way before I was born, attempted walking Katahdin's knife edge. Well, the bug had bitten. And like the PCT and the AZT, a southbound start requires a lot of work just to get to the start. While a hiker heading north will end triumphantly at the summit of Baxter Peak on Mount Katahdin's flank— I would need to touch it to count mile zero before heading south. Logistics in remote places always offer challenges, perhaps the least of them being that wicked climb of 4,000 feet in five miles up Mount Katahdin. So I needed to fly to Maine, then get ferried 100 miles deep into the woods. Now, the park has strict rules regarding camping, and I wisely organized two nights at the Katahdin Stream campground adjacent to the start at $34 a night. I mean, it's not cheap, but it's all, I guess, for a good cause. It's funny, though, that when I made my reservation, 
The ranger warned me the trails may not even be open by my June 1st start. Lucky for me, they were, just three days shy. After my summit and one more night in the camp, I'll enter the infamous 100-mile wilderness, so have brought everything that I'll need. That being said, I wisely drop half my food with an outfitter in Millinocket, who will drive it in on a forest road to a cache about halfway through the wilderness. A trail-fit northbounder might speed through the 100-mile wilderness in five days, but I've planned a slow, savoring, knee-saving 10 days. <laughs> I think on that idea of 10 days to walk this whole section, and I wonder if I might organize my mind around my 10 steps to joy. The very first one is take risks. I mean, think about that wonderful quote by Helen Keller, life is either a daring adventure or nothing at all. Well, it's certainly an adventure ahead of me. But right at the start, the first few miles on my 5.30 a.m. start, the trail follows the crystal-clear rushing stream on an easy and slow ascent. Trillium with pink at the center line the easy path. I pass the last outhouse with a sign confirming it is indeed the last outhouse. And then I shoot straight up on hand-built rock stairs. I gather water at what I suspect is the last water before the top. My early start is, of course, about having enough time to get up and back, having been warned it will take me at least 10 hours for just a little over 10 miles. I mean, miles are definitely not created equally. Pressing up, the views begin to open to pointy peaks in a vast landscape. All one needs are good lungs, I think, before arriving at my first set of boulders. I'm still in tree cover okay. and find handles on the trees, but this is slow going. Oh my God. Water spills down from melting snow, and I slosh through, noting I can refill my water bottle on this return. It was a risk to be here. The trail might not have been open, the weather not ideal, but I have a beautiful day. It's clear and it's warm, though I have been warned it could reach 90 today. I press on, and the rocks get harder, slabs that just barely hold my feet as I launch up. But then I wonder, how am I going to get back down this? Just as I begin to think this can't possibly be the way, a young woman with a headnet appears and zooms past. She offers me her hand, but up is never really my problem. She leads a trio of girls who slowly disappear up a jumble of rock, reaching beyond the trees. I put away my walking sticks because now it's all hands on deck. I wouldn't say it's dangerously vertiginous, but a slip would hurt, and a tumble would have much higher consequences. The way is marked with white blazes directly to a couple of helpful iron hand and footholds. It's less a ladder and more singular aids in a contortion of launching the body upward. It's not yet searing hot, but the sun blinds me, and I'm slathered with sunscreen, which attracts the gnats to my face for a feast. Beyond the iron, it's boulders the size of Volkswagens to negotiate— Crawling, pressing, pulling, 
squeezing. Right before I started this morning, I passed a man in a nearby campsite hiking with his kids, and he said, it's going to be hard, but it's doable. I try to keep this in mind as I squeeze upward, always afraid how I'm going to get down. The rangers offer day packs in a dispensary below, so we don't have to carry too much gear. Praise them as the gear of my body feels enough. It's hard. It's scary. It's relentless. But soon I'm over the rocks and I reach a sign. Oh wait, it's not the sign. It's only a warning sign to stay on trail and avoid stepping on the rare alpine plants. After all those rocks, I'm standing upright again, and I'm walking on the tableland. It's a massive flat rock of only a few miles to the summit. Filled with sedges and flowers, a stringed fence keeps us on the path to avoid crushing the life out of these fragile creatures. Part of the reason the trail closes is that ice and snow will further damage them if stepped on. But today is unseasonably warm and smoky, as Canadian wildfires send plumes of smoke south. Still, the view of thousands of lakes amidst forests stretching to the horizon is beautiful, yet daunting, because I'm going to walk all of that. I take lunch on a rock where wind pushes through sharp edges in the mountain. Many people come down from the top in shorts, already bright red from sunburn and exhausted. They warn me that the top has no wind, and it's buggy. I continue to the top and find out they weren't wrong. Right next to a final pile of snow, bugs swarm, and one by one I meet other thru-hikers, who crawl onto the back of the famous sign to mark our start. Music Man is one of them, and Shoes, naturally hiking barefoot. There's two siblings named Kaylee and Addie, plus Step, Unhurry, Adrian, Ingrid, and two older men struggling for the top who I forget their names. All of us will continue south on the AT tomorrow, and each of us one by one go down taking our leave at 12.30 before the clouds begin to build into thunderheads. Down has me afraid, but I move slowly, often turning around to take moves like a ladder. And sliding down on my butt, I tear a hole in my pants. The blazes disappear for a moment, and I contemplate dropping down just when two hikers approach and say, no, that's not the right way, it's up here. Talk about timing. Those two hikers get me on the right path, and they help me with the iron holds, which spook me out even more now looking down. We fly into the trees where I gather more water, offering extra to my camp neighbors who forgot to bring enough. And I also share some of my fresh vegetables. Shu catches up and follows me down, chatting all the way. He easily walks on rock without using poles, telling me he can feel the ground better through his bare feet. (laughs) I bet. I feel things just fine through my sneakers. Exhausted, wrecked, used up, I limp through the trees back to my sweet sight, and a thunderbolt slashes the sky. No rain yet, but changes are coming, 
and after a small whoop of happiness in my success, I lay down to set my mind on what's coming next. You can subscribe to Blissful Hiker wherever you get your podcasts, and please leave a review on Apple to help the show get discovered. Blissful Hiker is on Patreon right now. You can support the show financially as a patron. Help me get on trail to collect sound and create these stories. Find a link to Patreon in the show notes or at blissfulhiker.com. That's also where you can find other episodes, the blog, see pictures, and contact me, blissfulhiker.com. Next week, I plunge into the 100-mile wilderness in northern Maine and a whole new set of challenges. Until then, my friends, kia kaha and happy trails. <laughs>